Well, good morning. Welcome to Valley Lights Church. Let me just pop this on. There we go. Hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. I did just hear about the, uh, the pa- I think all the papers you do have are from last week. So you're going to have to pay special attention while I'm talking and just go to the back and just, you can just write your notes by yourself as we go along. Um, one of the things that we'll do today is um, I'll be reading a bunch of scripture. So you maybe can jot down some references as we go along for that. But my name is Bruce Wood. I'm the lead pastor here at Valley Lights Church. I'm really glad that you've joined us today. If I haven't met you yet, I'd love to meet you after church. I'll be standing at the back. We have a, a gift for you. Um, but I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm excited about some of the events that are coming up as well. Um, the events handout that you do have does accurately reflect some of the events coming up. And this is a time of year where there's a, it's a great opportunity for you to invite people that you know to either church or to church-related activities. Um, actually, last night, we, a bunch of us gathered at the Light Up Main Street event, and um, which was a lot of fun to do that together, but some, some uh, folks invited neighbors or friends to, to join with us and be a part of that. And we actually intentionally designed some of these events so that they would appeal to your friends and your neighbors so that we can uh, invite more people to be a part of what God is doing here. So take advantage of all those holiday events. Um, and then also, uh, if you got here uh, earlier when service started, you may have seen Michael leading worship today, and he, had, he introduced himself, but uh, Michael's a student at the Masters University, and I met him about two weeks ago. And it's exciting because as I've gotten to know other pastors in town and get to know other churches, there's, um, there's been a lot of people that have been providing help, and you know, like there's a good sense of uh, cooperation, even from guys from different denominations. You know, I've talked to some Foursquare pastors or some Baptist pastors or guys connected to the university, and um, there really has been, at least in my experience so far, a great sense of cooperation. So one of the pastors I met uh, met knew Michael, and he introduced us so that uh, Michael could help us out today, and um, I really appreciate that. And so you'll, um, we'll get to sing a little bit more after this service as well. All right, let's dive in for our message this morning. So there was a, a day last week when I got home from work and I went into the garage. And um, as I was going from the garage through the garage door into the kitchen, I, um, I happened to be wearing all black at the moment. And I had my, I was, my hand was up because I was closing the garage door. And as I'm dressed in black with my hand up, Aaron opened the garage door to go walk out in the, in the garage. And, here, and it was kind of dark in there because it was like light change. And so she just saw this guy dressed in black with his hand up as she opened the door. And she, um, you know, sometimes you scream or you shout. She was at the level of terror that no, nothing came out. <laughs> and um, she just kind of like just totally melted. And uh, it took, it took oh, like a full minute for her to recover. And I thought, I almost just killed my wife. <laughs> like this almost was really bad. Um, so I thought, I need, I, need, I need bells or something, I think, when I come home, <laughs> so I don't run into this problem again. But, uh, you know, I, I bring that up because security is, uh, is a major concern on our mind these days. And, uh, you know, you want your house to be secure, you want your life, your data, everything to be secure. Um, there's a lot of areas urgently on minds, and so, so, some of the ideas of security, if we go from like a highest level, you've got national security, of course, we've got our national defense, foreign and dis- domestic intelligence. Um, most of what goes on with our national security, you and I probably know very little, but hopefully someone's got some things figured out in, in, at the national level. 
Um, we've got border security. We have got border patrol monitoring the flow of people in and out of the country. There's a process for that. When it comes to county and city, there's other ways that we stay secure. We've got uh, organizations like law enforcement to maintain order, public safety. Of course, there's a whole other area of security, cybersecurity. That's a, a very real threat nowadays that related to our private information. Technologies are constantly being developed and improved in order to protect our data and things about us. We've got neighborhood security. Maybe you're joined a neighborhood watch program. Sometimes a string of theft or vandalism occurs in the community and neighbors band together to, to ward that off. Home security, more and more people have uh, cameras installed around their house or the ring doorbell. And um, you know, it, you, you never know if someone's at your door or if it's a, a package or a stray possum or raccoon. We've got a bunch of those that patrol our house every night. And then um, personal security. Maybe you've thought about certain parts of town that you wouldn't go out to at late at night or you wouldn't want your wife or your kids to go. And so there's, if you think about it, this could actually like really stress you out. Like, oh, well, there's like a lot of parts of my life that I need to be concerned about. Areas that I need to be secure. And, uh, you, know, each, you know, each of these areas you should have some awareness about, but we shouldn't obsess over any one of these areas. But what if you found out that there were two really important areas of security, not listed so far, that sometimes people give very little attention to. Actually, what if, what if there were two aspects of, two crucial areas to focus on to secure your life? Wouldn't you wanna know what those two, the two major areas that secure all of your life? Well, we're continuing on the Bible in the book of Daniel. And today we've arrived at chapter six. And if you've been with us for the past few weeks, we've been working through each Sunday, we've covered a chapter in the book of Daniel, and it's been fun. We've been reading, we've actually read every verse of Daniel so far, all the way to chapters one through five. Um, some message series, we go through a book like this. Sometimes we go and hit different areas of the Bible, but this has been um, really fun and exciting for me, for us to just kind of track through this book. And um, well, actually, what we got to today, chapter six, is probably the most memorable account in the whole book. And... Um, I've, I've really loved the, there's these just amazing moments of intensity in Daniel's life. And he's a prophet, a faithful man of God. And, um, you know, where, where we are at in the story is Daniel was captured by Babylon. In fact, all of the Jews at this point have been uh, either killed or exiled from their hometown of Jerusalem. And they're living in a foreign place, actually a, a city, a nation that's very hostile to the ways of God very ungodly, very violent, um, very paganistic. And so Daniel's got to figure out, how do I maintain my faithfulness to God in such a dark culture? And part of the reason this book has been so helpful is, you know, there's parts of our culture and our society that is dark and becoming more dark. How do we stand strong? How do we endure moments and spikes of intensity and stay faithful to God through all of that. And that's, that's one of the big things that's been helpful from this book. So where we're gonna jump in today, the year is about 539 BC. So we're, this is about 2,500 years ago, the story that we're looking at. In the land of, it was Babylon, but now it's the land of the Medo-Persians. And they conquered Babylon uh, late October in the year of 539 BC. 
We actually looked last week at how this epic, powerful nation of Babylon fell. And how really overnight, there was a new leadership structure set up in there. Um, so you're, we're going to jump into chapter 6. And the, the new leader now of this area, his name is Darius, and he had some, some, some concerns about order and security. Some of those things about national concerns and concern for his position and the people he was ruling. He, he had some concerns about that as well. And so we look to see how he addresses that. Um, I'm reading from, from the, the Christian Standard Bible today. Uh, but look at verse 1, and I'm going to read, there's going to be, there will be some verses on the screen, but um, I'm going to just read this first part, and you can listen right now. Chapter 1, or 6, verses 1, Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administers, including Daniel. So basically, he's got a bunch of leaders, 120 leaders, and then three governors over the leaders. And so Darius oversaw these three guys who oversaw all of the leaders called satraps. And it says, these satraps would be accountable to them, the three governors, so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel, however, distinguished himself above the other two administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit so that the king planned to set him over the whole realm. The administrators and the satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption, for Daniel was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Awesome. You guys are tracking. I forgot to give you my, my notes. Um, okay, so I, I love... I love this description of Daniel. So he's, he's uh, Darius the Mede. He's the, the king at this point. He conquered Babylon. And the first thing that he does is he wants to reorganize the government and distribute the administration uh, across these regional leaders. And Daniel, because he has this extraordinary spirit, which the sense of that word is Daniel, in some way, was beyond ordinary. You've got like your typical employees, and then you've got the employees that really stand out. And Daniel was just extraordinary in the way that he operated himself. Um, he had this really unusual inner quality. So Darius proposed to set him over the whole realm. And as you can imagine, so imagine you got three governors that are like glad about you know, their position. And then one of them, they're like, okay, actually this one guy is going to be in charge of all of you now. Well, those guys are not going to be too happy about this. There's going to be some jealousy. And I think probably because Daniel was so upright and so had so much integrity it probably offended his colleagues probably because of their corruption because maybe they cut corners maybe when Darius wasn't looking but here's Daniel he's always doing the right thing and you can't slip anything by him and they're like man this is so frustrating first of all he's being promoted and now he's giving us a hard time so they they're trying to find dirt on Daniel but they can't even find any dirt on him he had such high character and actually one of the amazing things about this, this book of the Bible is a lot of the historical figures that we look at um, in the Bible, they usually have some fall or some moment where they, they sinned. And, um, you know, of course, even David, who is the man after God's own heart, he had his whole episode with Bathsheba. And all the guys, you know, Peter <laughs> had his episode with Christ. But Daniel, you, we actually don't have anything in here where he got off track. He was so determined to be faithful to God. And uh, at this point... The guy's in his 80s. 
probably late 80s. You're like, man, you made it all the way through your 80s and, you, and they still can't find any dirt on you. This has been his way of life, trusting God, following God. You can read about some of these crazy accounts in the earlier chapters, living in exile. I don't know about you, when you're under pressure in life, and if you're in less than ideal situations, I don't know if you ever give yourself an out or just have a bad attitude or say like, hey, it's just been a bad week and you just kind of go off. It's, it can be very tempting to justify our behavior that gets out of bounds and chalk it up to circumstances. Daniel never gave him that, himself that out. So his high character stands up above the rest. He had experience, wisdom, a sense of history, leadership, a really good reputation, skills. He had a servant's attitude, and, and he also he brought revelation from God uh, to the leaders of this nation. So um, you might want somebody like Daniel in your world. I don't know if it may be on the job or uh, maybe in your circles, God has brought people around you that are like Daniel, faithful men that, that can stir you forward, challenge you and convict you and like, no, I, I want to keep moving forward towards God's ways. So these guys, they, they don't appreciate Daniel's uh, uprightness. They get very frustrated by it. They want to do something uh, very sinister. In verse 6, it says, So the administrators and the satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict for that 30 days Anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that, as a law of the Medes and Persians, it's irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the written edict. So what they do is they propose a way, like, they kind of stroke his ego here by saying, hey, let's just, let's do this 30-day law where nobody can worship anybody but the king. I mean, what self-interested king wouldn't think that sounds great. <laughs> so so he, signed, he just goes ahead and signs it. And they got this funny thing about their laws where like not even the king could overturn his own rules at that time. So they disguise their jealousy and their malicious intent into what appears to be a legislative action. There's like this new law. There's like a new, there's a new law that has been there for 30 days. And this is really early on in Darius's reign but it's a trap. And so, um, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph in the Bible, and if you can read Genesis chapter 37, you'll see a very strong parallel between Joseph's jealous brothers and the way that they come against Joseph deceptively. It's kind of similar. These guys are coming against Daniel in a deceptive way. And in our culture, in our, in our country, there may be ways that we come up against something like this where in, your, in our lifetime, there, there may be laws passed in our lands where they, there's things that are conflicting with God's laws. And if that happens, if laws do get passed that say, that go against what we do need to do to follow God, what, what will you decide to do? How will you stand in that moment? Parents, you may face laws that restrict your ability to parent in God's ways according to his word. Legislators and laws may attempt to tie your hands as parents. How will you respond to that? This is one of, the, one of the reasons that voting really does matter and praying for the elected officials matters. Now that the midterms have, have passed, we can trust God. And after every vote, 
um, we can trust God, but we have a real opportunity to pray for those that have been elected. And when elections do come, engage politically, learn about the issues and study the party platforms, because that really matters. But if we look back at Daniel, this group of jealous leaders, they bring this new law to the king. And just as they stated, once enacted, this Medo-Persian law could not be changed, even by the king. So they knew that they, they're not going to be able to find any charge against Daniel, except with regard to his relationship to God. And so they tricked the king. Verse 10, here's what it says. Verse 10, when Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in his upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem. And three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king. This is all falling right into their plans the way they thought it would. And they asked the king about this edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any, any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? Like, just want to make sure, did you, act, you did sign it, right? You did sign this thing. And the king answered, as a law of the Medes and Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. All right. Man, this is, uh... so here, here's what happens is Daniel, three times a day, he had this habit of praying to God. And um, even though he is in exile, his heart and his desire is to go back to Jerusalem one day. There were some prophecies about God restoring Israel and there was a hope for that happening, so he would pray. I'm sure he prayed about many things. And he, he just had this pattern of daily prayer. He was so consistent in that. And this is, this is something that's quite unique when it comes to Daniel. His loyalty never wavered. He continued to observe the seasons and um, just worship God the way that his custom was. I don't know if you've got anybody, again, in, in your life who, in this regard, is so loyal to God and just unwavering in their faith, and just, they walk with God, you know that they've got a regular habit of reading the Bible and praying. I don't know if you, if you read a story like this, and you think, I don't know if there's anybody that comes to your mind in your life, or somebody that you know, that is this really consistent in their, in their devotion. If so, maybe you could, one, one idea is you could jot down their names and encourage them with something specific this week as a way of like, this, is, this helps you to move forward. But we have these, again, these administrators, they don't like what Daniel's doing, and um, Darius, he's, uh, actually what it turns out, he's, he doesn't like being tricked, <laughs> it turns out. And so these administrators, once they confirm this law has been signed, they replied to the king, Daniel, one of your Judean exiles, has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. Now, as soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. So Darius wasn't on a huge power trip like some of the other leaders in the story were, like Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Belshazzar. He's actually, some of those other leaders were really infuriated by the faithfulness of the Jews. But, but Darius actually saw some of the good that came from Daniel's life. And he actually set his mind to rescue Daniel. And uh, now he realized, I've just been tricked. These guys that I put in leadership over my kingdom have totally tied my hands. I don't know if they thought they were doing something he would like, but anyways, he, he totally got tricked. I think, I kind of wonder if this was a moment where the king 
starts, he starts a burning anger at these guys, these officials, for trapping. What they did, they trapped the most qualified leader in the kingdom, the guy that was the most trustworthy, most reliable, and they just boxed him into executing his best guy. Like, I would be furious if I were, if I were the king. Um, he, I've, maybe he thought in this moment, as soon as I get through helping Daniel, you guys are going to get yours. I, it doesn't say that, but, you know, if I'm putting my mind to the story, I, I kind of wonder if he had thoughts like that. Verse 15 says, Then these men went together to the king and said to him, You know, your majesty, that it's a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. He's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> you don't have to tell me. So here's the thing, and I think I got this one on the screen as well. The king gave the order. They brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. They had, they had to do it. There was no way around it. And the king said to Daniel, May your God, the king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you continually serve, rescue you. He's like, I really hope your God does this. Your God seemed to have some good power in the past. I hope he does now. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. So we've got, got a little photo of Daniel in the den here. And um, reluctantly, the king kept the law. He had to. Hands were tied, and he sent Daniel to the lion's. And he was laden with guilt about it. He probably felt, actually, he probably felt pretty foolish for getting tricked. He's like, man, I could have thought this one through a little bit more. He couldn't sleep or eat. He, had known Dan- he hadn't known Daniel for very long, but he had already been very impressed. The word den, when lion's den, it relates to the Hebrew word to dig. So it refers to, this den probably refers to an underground pit, which likely had a hole at the top from which to drop food into the pit. And it probably had a door at the foot um, of a ramp or on a hillside through which the lions could be brought in. So essentially, if that's, if that's the way this is constructed, there's no way out. There's, it's not like Daniel could like, figure out how to escape in the middle of the night. There's no rescue available except by supernatural means. Sometimes God does deliver and get people out of deadly situations, and sometimes he doesn't. And I actually want to read, before I finish this Daniel story, I want to read some excerpts from a church history book called Trial and Triumph by Richard Hanela. And I'm going to read from a section entitled The Early Church, Facing Persecution, Fighting Heresy, just to kind of give a similar but slightly contrasting story to the one in Daniel. And uh, here's a statement from this book. It says, The early church endured persecution from, from without and false teachers from within. But through every trial, God proved faithful to bless and preserve his church. The first two stories in the book portray the martyrdom of an old minister and a Christian slave girl. And it seems odd to start a book written to encourage young Christians with stories of believers suffering cruel deaths. The pagans hoped that through the brutal killing that they would wipe out Christianity. But actually, God strengthened his children to stand firm in the face of death. The martyr's faith and courage inspired many to follow Christ. Psalm 116, 15 says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. So, there's another guy. I'll read a a really interesting story about a guy named Polycarp. And he died. He had actually uh, 
he experienced martyrdom. He was a leader in the church of Smyrna who was martyred in the year AD 155. And he also was in his mid-80s. So he's, this guy is actually kind of similar to where Daniel's at in this story. Similar age, similar background. And so let me, let me read, I'm going to read this really fascinating story. There's an old painting of Polycarp. I, I'm going to read this story, and as I do, there's a few images to kind of like help you see this story. But um, here's what it says about Polycarp. Dressed in an embroidered robe of purple and gold, the governor at this time stood in an imperial box glaring down at Polycarp in his dusty tunic. He waved his hands and quieted the crowd. They're in, they're in an arena, and the governor is talking to Polycarp. Are you Polycarp, the teacher of the Christians? The governor asked. I am? Polycarp answered. The governor says, have respect for the honor of your old age. Swear by Caesar and save yourself. Point to the Christian prisoners there and say, away with the godless. Polycarp turned from the Christian prisoners and pointed to the pagan crowds, lifted his voice to heaven and said, away with the godless. The governor tempted Polycarp a second time and said, swear the oath to Caesar and I will release you. Deny Christ. Polycarp stood straight and answered in a clear voice, For 86 years I have been his servant, and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? Swear by Caesar, the governor shouted. You try in vain to get me to swear by Caesar. Hear me plainly, I am a Christian. I will have the beasts here, the governor said. I will throw you to them unless you change your mind. Call for them, Polycarp answered. If you're not afraid of the beasts, I will have you burned alive. You threaten me with fire that burns for a little while and goes out, Polycarp said. But you are ignorant of the fire of eternal punishment, which is prepared for the ungodly. Why do you wait? Come and do with me what you will. And someone from the crowd said, This is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, who teaches many not to worship our gods. Burn him! So soldiers tied Polycarp to a post and surrounded him with straw, oil-soaked kindling and timber. Polycarp prayed aloud, O Lord God Almighty, the Father of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have received the knowledge of you, I bless you for granting me the honor of this day and the hour that I might be numbered among the martyrs. You are faithful and true God. To you be glory both now and for the ages to come. Amen. So, a torch. A long torch ignited the bonfire and a mighty flame leapt upward. Polycarp's courage, even through his death, in the face of such adversity, really emboldened the persecuted Christians throughout the empire to remain faithful to Christ. So what courage these martyrs displayed. Polycarp's hope was firmly fixed on the promises of the next life. He knew that he'd soon be welcomed into God's presence for all eternity, free from pain, threats, death, he was ready to receive his full reward in eternal life. So, Polycarp, similar guy in his 80s, not, not rescued from certain death. And I want to return to Daniel's story, and we'll see what happens to him, because surely how could he survive <laughs> being thrown to these lions? In Daniel chapter 6, verse 19, here's what it says. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried off to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you continually serve, been able to rescue you from the lions? You got to wait for an answer. 
Is there anything? <laughs> then Daniel spoke with the king, May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they haven't harmed me. For I was found innocent before him, and also before you, your majesty. I have not done harm. You'll actually see in some of these verses, there's um, this word harm comes up a bunch, and I'm going to refer to it in a few minutes. What's fascinating about the book of Daniel, each chapter seems to have a word that's repeated and not really found in many other places of the Bible. And there's these, these really um, amazing themes that emerge when you study the book. So the, harm, this, the idea of harm is one. Verse 23, it says, The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. When Daniel was brought up from the den, he was found to be unharmed, for he trusted his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. So they did get theirs after all. It says they, their children, and their wives. Which this is a, this is a pretty common um, Sunday school story, like kids learn and they like, draw pictures. I don't think they usually have a picture of this part of it, <laughs> where the, uh, the wives and the children are all thrown in with them. They had not, here's, check this out, they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. What that tells us is, it's not that these lions were just like cute kitties that were full. They actually were quite ravenous and ready to destroy. It only highlights the supernatural impact that God had on, on Daniel at this time. So Daniel remained unharmed, not a scratch on him. Miraculous divine protection. And it wasn't that the lions fell asleep, it was that an angel protected him and kept their mouths shut. What a powerful image. And uh, this was possibly the same angel that protected Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah from the fire. Uh, maybe this was another appearance of the Son of God. Either way, God prevented even a scratch from, um, from him being completely harmed. So he pulls them out, checks them out, and uh, they, uh, the guys, those guys that did set a trap for Daniel, it snapped back on them. The trap that they set for the godly person snapped back. That's really a sobering situation for people who try to play games and attack God's servants. God stands ready to defend. So I, I started by talking about this idea of security. And there's all these different realms of like, you want your life to be safe, you want your family to be safe, you want your data to be safe. But beyond ring cameras and self-defense and border security, there are two really, really big areas where we can secure our life. The first one is character. That's what comes out in this story. Character counts. And if we look back at the beginning of this chapter, what is said of Daniel is that they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy. No negligence or corruption was found in him. And I, what I like about those two words, negligence or corruption, is um, corruption would be any intentional wrongdoing where he was just selfishly pursuing his own gain. But negligence is not being intentionally evil. It's just failing to be careful and not being reasonably careful and prudent, which if you're responsible for a lot of things, like he, he was responsible for almost up to the, almost the whole kingdom, you would imagine... He'd probably slip up at some time, or maybe he let his responsibilities go, or he wouldn't be able to finish his work at the end of the day, or some, something would happen where just by negligence, something would go wrong. But that they couldn't find anything. They couldn't find any example of negligence, which means he was probably a very hard worker. He probably was on top of his game and on top of his priorities, and 
So whether it was by corruption or negligence, he didn't have any of that. And if you look at the picture of an iceberg, this kind of gives an idea of what, this, this idea of character. There's some things about you and I that is kind of more related to our reputation, things that people can see. The top of the iceberg is the visible part. It's what people think you are, the part that you present. But then there's a big part of the iceberg that's below the surface. Sometimes it's a bigger part of, the, of, of you. It's, it's who you really are. And your character does eventually get shown by the way that you live your life, both publicly and privately. Your character is always being tested, whether you're at work, you're with your family, whether in public or in private. Even, even your thoughts are part of your character that's being tested. And we grow in character through getting to know God and being yielded to His Word and intentionally running with a pack of people who challenge our growth in life. That keeps coming up in these stories as well, these, these guys that were encouraged by one another. So character, who we really are, who, how we really think, how we really operate, the, desi the desires of our heart that we respond to or reject really does matter a lot. And that comes up in this story. This part of his impeachable character is part of what brings him protection. The other thing that brought him a lot of security in life was his faith. Actually, faith frees you from fear. There was probably some concern and trembling he experienced being thrown into the den, but ultimately he didn't have an, he didn't have an ultimate fear about where he would end up. Daniel 6.23, it says about this, He was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. So this not being harmed, we see this is the reason that he was not harmed is because of his trust in God. There's, a, there's an aspect of security there that sometimes people don't really think about. Maybe more than buying all the security stuff, what if we trusted God and that brought protection? We can trust God to lead us through harm, and we can trust God as we obey Him at all times. And whenever you're out of options, you know, we, we, we've, no matter what happens, we've got to obey God, even though it may really cost us. Daniel continued to obey God, even though there would be a cost. He chose faith. He chose to trust God than any of the circumstances he was in. Even, even if you're in a situation where you are unjustly accused by your own co-workers or by someone in your family, God is ultimately our judge. The, the name Daniel is a Hebrew name. Daniel, and there may be Daniels here in the crowd right now, but Daniel, it means God is my judge. It means, and, and this is true for those that, that follow God, that follow him. He, he is ultimately our judge. It's not, it's not the people that make accusations or judgments over us. God is our judge, and God will cover our back through the whole of life until he takes us home. And that time that we go home won't happen any sooner than he's already decided. So in the meantime, faithful obedience over time prepares us for these spikes of intensity. I mentioned each chapter. So now, now we've gone through chapter six. Um, six times, there's these just intense, deadly, threatening spikes of intensity over an 80-year period of life where throughout it all, Daniel just was faithfully obeying each day, even with just the everyday monotonous stuff. Actually, you think, you think Daniel's like power-packed and the stories are, like that's like, you can do like a whole kid's curriculum on just, just the book of Daniel. But, you know, it's just like six occurrences over 80 years, which means there's probably a lot of his life that was just kind of ordinary, just kind of going to work, 
just kind of living and just being faithful over time. That's actually a lot, a lot of life is kind of that way. Just got to be faithful. So I'm going to read the last couple of verses from this chapter. And um, you'll see how the king responds to this. I mean, it really was miraculous what happened. I would imagine the king seriously doubted he would even see any part of Daniel's body left in the morning. But here's what happens. In verse 25, it says, Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live on the whole earth, May your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Wow. This is, a, this is not a Christian guy. This is not a Jewish guy saying that everyone should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. And here's what he says. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. That word underlined, never be destroyed, if you look at the Hebrew, it's actually the same word as harm. When we were looking at it in a few verses, there's this theme of um, uh, no harm coming or, or being unharmed. This is the same thing. God's kingdom will never be harmed or destroyed. It says, um, that's going to stay up there, but verse 27 says, He rescues and delivers God. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So, in the same way, if we look at that word harm, in the same way, the, the lines didn't harm Daniel. Also, God's kingdom will never be harmed or destroyed. And the lines then, I think, as I study this, I think the lines then is a visual pointing to a much greater reality that gives us a lot of hope. Because all, you know, if you imagine all the lions in the world, meaning like, all of the ravenously evil people. Because, you know, it's kind of like those administrators were kind of like lions towards Daniel, wanting to tear him apart, tear his character apart, find anything against him. All of the forces of evil that may come against you or come against Christians, or all of the forces of evil in the cosmic realms, Satan and all his demonic forces with him. It's kind of like, in a way, we're, we're, we're dropped in a dank dungeon right now. <laughs> And we have a lot of pressure and forces against us. There's a lot working against Christians and Christianity. And it's, it's, they're all, they're all, it's all around us. <laughs> but we don't need to fear that evil will have any ultimate victory over us. The darkness will not overcome the light. God's kingdom will never be destroyed. I think that is the hope that comes from this story. This is a really huge, powerful, I think maybe the biggest theme in the book of Daniel is that God's kingdom will never be destroyed. It will endure forever. So we keep looking at this truth. Each, each of these six chapters so far, we kind of look at this big truth. God's kingdom will never be destroyed. We, we look at it from different angles. Kind of looking like, looking at the different sides of a diamond. There's these different faces that have, reflect light in a different way. We keep looking at the same truth. God's kingdom will never, ever, ever be destroyed. It will endure forever, which means you probably want to be in that kingdom. <laughs> and that's why we can read stories of guys like Daniel and stories of guys like Polycarp. One was murdered. One was not rescued from the physical death. Actually, it was probably painful to be burned alive. But both died eventually. You know, Daniel's not here anymore. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's why we read stories about Christians who experience different kinds of pain and trials and persecutions. And we can still 
carry hope and confidence with us into the future. Love that verse 23. It says, Daniel was found to be unharmed for he trusted in his God. There's a lot of safety and a lot of security that comes from trusting in God. So do you, do you trust God with things going on in your life right now? I mean, do you, re- do you really, really trust him with what's going on? There may be things that you feel threatened by or things you can't solve or things that are working against you or putting a lot of pressure on you, but do you trust God with that, with whatever he may be doing through that? If Daniel was harmed, imagine if he did get torn up by the lines or, or roughed up or eaten. I don't think his trust would have dropped, even if he did experience pain. I think his trust wasn't dependent on all of his blood staying in his body. I think if he lost a limb, he probably still would have trusted God. So I don't know what kind of things are going on in your life or what kind of things you might fear. There's a lot we could be afraid of. Disease could kill you. Society could cancel you. Friends could betray you. Politics could divide you. Your money could run out on you. California could dishearten you. (laughs) Your church could shrink on you. Your family could become upset with you. And there's, there's there's all kinds of things that we could be totally stressed and worried about and fearful about. But here's Daniel, at peace, in a lion's den. And you contrast that to King Darius, who's in like this luxurious bed with all the comforts and diversions he could want, and he can't sleep. He's totally stressed out. What a contrast in the middle of that story. Daniel's, it's because Daniel's hope, which was very different from the king, Daniel's hope was on a fixed source that was unchanging. Really, the safest place for any of us to be is in the center of God's will. Even if we're in a very dangerous position, and we do experience harm, that is still the safest place to be, right where God wants us. So here's a couple next steps you might consider. If one of these apply to you, just jot it down on your paper. One next step might be, I need to declare my trust in God while walking past the lions. (coughs) Maybe you do feel like there are ravenous lions around you in some way right now. In that time, when you feel that, when you feel the, the fear or those emotions that are very strong, declare your trust in Him. Maybe use this verse, Daniel 6, 23. He was found to be unharmed, for he trusted in his God. Also, you might do this. Encourage a person of character and faith. I mentioned this earlier. Maybe there's somebody in your life that has been unwavering or loyal to God, and it's really helped you. Maybe write that person some encouragement. Another next step might be to read through these chapters, Daniel chapters 1 through 6. Or you could even listen to the messages where we walk through all of those verses There is so much encouragement to see what God does through these crazy spikes of intensity. Or, here's another next step. Read chapters 7 through 12 in preparation for next week. So if you have any background or experience reading the book of Daniel, you know that these first six chapters are some really cool stories. And then the last six are some really strange like prophecies and talk about end times and things like that. So I'm actually going to bundle up chapters 7 through 12 in one message. We're going to look at some of those interesting prophecies, but we're going to make it really, really practical. But it might help you this week to maybe read ahead, maybe read a chapter each day till next week to learn about that. And um, I'll be excited to go into the next step. I'm going to wrap this up in a minute. I'm going to pray and ask God to help us. Uh, I did want to point out one, one more thing that's exciting and going on with our church right now is we've got some uh, discipleship groups where some people have signed up for some increased commitment and growth. 
And so we have these discipleship groups. I have a photo of a group that went to Orange Crest Community Church. So here's a bunch of guys. This is the, the guy's discipleship group. And they're standing outside of the trailer of Orange Crest Community Church, which is our sending church. And so they're a big, they're about 600 people. They're a lot bigger. That's where I was on staff for a long time. And what's cool is that each uh, week this month, we, we've sent a team of these groups to go serve at the church to learn about where we come from and where God may take us in the future. And so today there's um, a group of women that are there. They're probably attending one. They're probably listening to the Daniel message right now, actually, because <laughs> me and Josh, the pastor of that church, we're running the series together. Um, but it's really, it's been really exciting to have um, these groups of people and just learning more about where God may take us in the future and really deepening their commitment to Christ in those ways. So um, that's been an exciting thing that we've, we've been doing together. It really it kind of also, um, I really love the way that we're able to team with our sending church and churches in our network. Also, we're able to team with other churches in our city, like I'd mentioned earlier, another pastor helping us out to find worship leader for today. And it's really exciting to see lots of churches and Christians teaming together to move God's kingdom forward in our world. And uh, I'm, I feel inspired and encouraged by that. But let me close us with a word of prayer. The worship team will come up now. And uh, let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for um, your guidance and your love for us. And a story like this, you know, that when we bring up topics of fear and insecurity and threats, uh, it, can, it can cause us to be anxious and fearful. And there's a lot uh, working against the people of God, and there's, there's a lot that we're facing. But you have shown yourself to be very faithful Thank you, Lord, that you protected Daniel in this story and you showed us why that was. Pray that you'd give us uh, the resources by the Holy Spirit needed to walk in careful obedience and to show ourselves with high character the way that you would want, the way that would please you. And um, I pray that each of us would find a way that we can deepen our trust in you this week. Maybe there's an area of concern or fear that we could, we could declare our trust in you. Um, thank you for your help as we walk through this book and the guidance you've given. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.